0: Hello listeners, this is Jesse Bartholomew, host of Kentucky History and Haunts, and I have had a summer cold for like 10 days now, and it doesn't seem to be going away, so I looked at the calendar and realized it's like halfway through August, and I haven't put out an episode, so figure I better hop to it. Um, so I might sound a little off audibly, but mentally I'm all here, and uh, I've tested negative for COVID at home and at the doctor, so that's good. But today's episode is in the true crime genre. It's uh, a cold case. So listener discretion advised, uh, this episode will include details of a murder that some may find unsettling. This is the murder of Patrice Corley. On April 19th, 1990, the body of a female was discovered behind a gas station and truck stop near Newark, Ohio. Newark is in Licking County, which is in central Ohio. It's like 30 miles east of Columbus. So that's a busy stretch of highway. Um, And unfortunately, that's where someone left this woman's body after they killed her. After the initial investigation, police are completely stumped. This is 1990, so DNA evidence is still a pretty new thing, and the investigators just didn't have anything to work with. So the woman they found became a Jane Doe, and the murder investigation just went nowhere. They didn't know who got murdered. They didn't know who murdered her. But her autopsy revealed that she'd been beaten, and it appeared the cause of death was blunt force trauma to the head. She'd been left near a dumpster at the truck stop wearing only her underwear, and the autopsy revealed she'd recently had sexual intercourse, but we don't know if it was consensual or not. Now, on the Doe Network's website, it says police believed she frequented truck stops, um, implying that she'd been a sex worker, I don't see that reported in any other article about this case. So I'm not confident to tell you that with certainty, but it was mentioned on that one website. Jane Doe's body was still intact enough for sketch artists to create a drawing of her face. And so that drawing was circulated around the area and to other police departments with the hopes that someone would come forward and identify her. No such luck. She was buried on June 18th, 1990 in Spring Grove Cemetery, and there was a minister at a nearby church, and uh, that was Robert Knox, and he bought her this little granite headstone, and since they knew from the autopsy that she had given birth before, he had it inscribed, someone's mother, someone's daughter, which is sweet. He also paid for her burial plot. And his family said that he did stuff like this a lot when people died and they didn't have families or anyone to take care of it. Um, So he was just good guy. And unfortunately he died in 2009, which was well before Jane Doe was identified. Um, but in March of the following year, the Ohio Attorney General's Office set up a task force to investigate at least 11 murders of women who had been dumped in a stretch of highways spanning four states, including Ohio, from 1985 to 1990. So we'll get back to that in a little bit. But in this case, uh, like in many others, everything just goes cold, freezing cold. They've gotten nothing. What they don't know at the time is that down in Louisville, Kentucky, a woman has attempted to report her sister-in-law missing. But because this woman wasn't a blood relative of the missing person, apparently she was told they couldn't do anything for her. Now, we don't know which agency she tried to report this to, but it sounds like she was essentially brushed off by whoever it was. So this family in Kentucky, in Louisville, Um, I believe it's four sisters and a brother, um, are wondering where their sister is. And the last time they'd seen her was in early December of 1989. Remember, Jane Doe is found in April of 1990. So decades go by, and I hate how frequently I say that. Um, But yeah, decades. And what happens next in this story is sort of relayed differently in the various articles I read about this case. But what I think happened is in 2016, the same sister-in-law that tried in 1989, she called the Louisville Metro Police Department and said, look, our family member has been missing for decades and we all have this advanced technology now. So could you please just take our DNA and run it through the system? LMPD detective Ann Hogan filed that very after-the-fact missing persons report, and she followed through with this family. So she had all of their cheeks swabbed, um, all of the blood siblings, obviously, and then she has their DNA tested by the University of North Texas Center for Human Identification. What happened here is when they found Jane Doe, they had her DNA. They just didn't have anything to Compare it to, right? But after getting these siblings' DNA samples, they were able to confirm that Jane Doe in Ohio is the missing sibling. It's Patrice Anita Corley. Patrice was born on August 11th, 1960, in Ballyhead, West Virginia, uh, which would make her 29 years old when she was murdered. She was the mother of a toddler. Um, she was living somewhere in southeastern Louisville. Uh, she may have been living with her brother. The details on like, her recent life before she was murdered are a little blurry, um, but she was also a veteran. We do know that. Patrice's dad died in 2003, and her mom died in 2012, so both of them passed away not knowing what happened to their daughter. Her Louisville relatives have gone to visit her grave. I don't know if they've had her moved back here. Um, it doesn't sound like that was their intention. Um, I did see a photo, and I'll post it, of you know her initial little Jane Doe grave marker versus now there's a big one, so it looks like they got her a bigger headstone. Um, but other than that, I, I don't know like who she was or what she was like, you know, I I don't have those sorts of details. Um, But now we're left with this big question, right? Who killed Patrice Corley? Who did this? And that's where things get really messy because when it comes to women getting murdered along highways in the 1980s and nineties, police really had their work cut out for them. And because of that whole transient trucker and sex worker lifestyle, it's really hard to pin down who was where and when. Um, so let's talk about some possibilities in this case. First, I'll introduce you to Dr. No. Maybe some of you have heard of him, uh, Dr. No, or heard this nickname. This was an unidentified serial killer who's believed to be one of the people responsible for murdering a lot of these women along highways anywhere from 1981 to 2004. And there are just these similarities in the cases attributed to him, namely that most of his alleged victims were found without underwear or shoes. Now, if you'll remember, Patrice was found in only underwear, so this would actually not be quite his M.O., but most of Dr. No's victims were sex workers, and most of them were killed in the same manner, which was badly beaten and strangled. You can imagine that as these murders keep happening over and over again, investigators are just pulling their hair out. So... Across multiple states, they're interviewing everyone they can find who might be close to this environment, including pimps, sex workers, employees of these gas stations. Um, And it turns out that a lot of witnesses ended up giving a very similar description of the person they think is responsible for these murders. Quote, According to the witnesses, The killer appeared to be a tall, large man with fair skin and dark hair, aged 25 to 40, wore glasses, and talked with an accent matching that of somebody from the northeastern states. The vehicle he was driving was described as a 1984 silver truck with a wind blocker and a red hood. The Ohio State Police Department and volunteers from various civil society organizations posted over 4,000 photographs of the victims and an identikit of the offender at 130 truck stops and service stations across the state and 1,350 truck stops in nine other states, through which interstate motorways where the serial killer would ride through, offering $10,000 for information about him. As a result, five people were detained who at different times were nicknamed Dr. No, but subsequently no charges were filed against any of them and their names were never disclosed to the public. We do know some of the suspects' names though because of later court cases and all that good stuff. So let's talk about some of these guys. Alvin Wilson of Lake County, Ohio. His hair sample matched those found on some of the victims, which, I mean, that's pretty serious stuff. Um, Credit card receipts also put him at or near the scenes a couple of times. And in 1990, he was arrested for the attempted murder of a woman. But there just wasn't enough there, um, evidence-wise, to charge him with any of the Dr. No murders. So um, he wasn't. And uh, that brings us to John Fountainberry, who was arrested the same year for a couple of murders, but uh, he was ruled out as a suspect because his victim profile was quite different. He murdered um, both men and women, but he he mostly murdered older men. And then um, in 1994, James Robert Cruz Jr. was arrested for the murder of a 17-year-old girl in Pennsylvania and she was dumped along a highway with most of her clothes missing so they didn't have any physical evidence tying him to these other murders they just you know it was a red flag that the crime looked very similar and then in 1995 there was uh, sean patrick Goebel. he started to look like a good suspect he was a trucker from north carolina he admitted to killing two sex workers in tennessee But he was eventually cleared from being Dr. No, because he was still in high school at the time of the first murder. And he was serving in the army when some of the murders took place in the Dr. No case. So moving on, um, then there's Samuel Legg. And it turns out most people have concluded that Dr. No has been identified. Um, So if you listen to Crime Junkie, you might remember this one. And in fact, I think they've covered it twice. Uh, Once in 2019, when this story really broke. So first, let me explain the moniker to you. Uh, What this guy would do was solicit women over the CB radio in his truck and ask sex workers to meet him at a certain location. And he would call himself Dr. No. Cause he didn't want to use his real name, obviously. So he actually gave himself that nickname. And um, in case you didn't know, Doctor No was a, an Ian Fleming character. Um, this was Doctor No was a James Bond movie. So I'm guessing Samuel Legg was a James Bond fan. Uh, anyway, Samuel Legg was a long distance truck driver, originally from Arizona. He I don't really know anything about his childhood. Um, If that's out there, I missed it. But I know that he was married in the late 1980s. And I know that things were okay in the marriage for a little while. And then his wife, Nancy, just started noticing some strange behavior. Um, One problem was that he lied, I mean, almost pathologically. And then he became a suspect in the 1992 murder of his own stepdaughter, Angela Hicks. So his stepdaughter reportedly never liked him. They really didn't get along. And one day, while the wife, Nancy, was at work, Legg said that his 14-year-old stepdaughter just took off. She left the house, and she never came back. And a month later, her body was found near a dilapidated barn. And local investigators certainly suspected Samuel Legg, but they didn't have any evidence to arrest him. Nancy, his wife, also suspected that he may have done it, but it sounds like she was pretty much in denial. Um, I mean, she couldn't fathom being married to the man that murdered her daughter, but they did divorce uh, less than a year after the murder, and she completely cut off contact with him. Um, Apparently, they, they never spoke again. Legg got married again in 2006, but was divorced just two short years later. And he was arrested for a, kind of a string of nonviolent crimes. He would do things like duplicate license plate. Um, he was arrested for solicitation, uh, once for trespassing, for trying to get into a stranger's car in a McDonald's parking lot. Just really all kinds of random stuff. Um, So he did have a fairly significant rap sheet of nonviolent crimes before the more serious stuff. He was a suspect in a rape case in Ohio, although he was not prosecuted. Uh, But then the same year, he was charged with the murder of a 39-year-old woman, Julia Conkle, who was found strangled behind a truck stop. So when they collected DNA for this case, it was like, alarm bells going off in all these other cases. Um, So he was subsequently indicted for the murder of a woman in Youngstown in 1992. So all of these connections are being made. Um, The catch here is that he was deemed mentally unfit to stand trial. And so he's currently at the Twin Valley Behavioral Health Center in Columbus. This is a maximum security facility. He's there involuntarily, so He's not permitted to leave, but as far as his legal troubles, it's all kind of up in the air. Um, it sounds like, according to the Generation Y podcast, which is another great true crime show, um, he was indicted in August of 2020 for the 1996 murder of Victoria Jane Collins, but they're just waiting to figure out if this guy's ever going to be competent enough to stand trial. Um it's believed that leg is suffering from neurosyphilis, which is a bacterial infection of the brain that can happen if syphilis goes untreated for a long time. The icing on the cake though is that he's also believed to be schizophrenic. And so just imagine the combination of those two things. It's it's really really wild. So Before Leg was apprehended, he was living in Chandler, Arizona, and he was really kind of known around town to go missing, get kind of lost, just be wandering around aimlessly. Um, He was living in a group home for a while, and he would escape, he would just disappear. The police would have to go out and find him and bring him back. And there's this one story where the police went out and found him, and they sat him down, and they said, You know, is there someone we can call? Do you have a family member? And so he picked up his hand and made, you know, like, the phone sign and started talking to someone as if he were on the phone. And, I like, as if he truly believed he was on the phone with someone. So that just gives you the kind of uh, an idea of what the inner workings of this guy's brain is like. Um, Some might say maybe he was putting on a show for the police, but at the time, he wasn't being apprehended for a crime. He was just being returned home. So... You know, I I think it's the real deal. I think this guy has a lot of mental illness that has gone unchecked for a long time. Um, So according to the Gen Y podcast, police are not confident that all the murders attributed to the infamous Dr. No are really the work of one individual. But they also believe that the individual, Samuel Legg, is responsible for more murders than just what he's been charged with. So far. So, as of March 2022, Leg remains unfit to stand trial in the eyes of the law, and that's based on a review hearing he had at the facility where he's committed. And now he won't even be reviewed again until 2024. But for the record, he has admitted to choking to death three victims Victoria Collins, Sharon Kedzierski, and Julia Conkle. So, did Samuel Legg murder Patrice Corley? The answer, unfortunately, is that it's certainly possible, but we don't know. Another option that I didn't see mentioned anywhere, but I immediately popped into my mind, was the Redhead murders. Um, and I don't want to get into this too much because I'm going to talk about the Redhead murders soon on a separate episode. But I just thought it was worth mentioning. Um, fairly recently, investigators zeroed in on a really good suspect for a string of truck stop murders that were similar to the ones we've been talking about and in a similar time frame, anywhere from 1978 to 1992. So I I think it's very possible that they're connected. And so I guess I'm leaving you with a little bit of a cliffhanger ending. But for now, that's what I know about the murder of Patrice Corley. It It is such a, a frustrating thing that the family doesn't get more answers. Um, These murders were unfortunately so frequent and so easy to get away with at the time that with our technology, we're just now kind of playing catch up. And, you know, I I guess the important thing is the positive way to look at this is that we're still putting in the work, right? I, I say we, I'm not. But investigators are using all of this family DNA and solving cold cases after decades. I just think that's, it's so impressive. And it's so important. Um, If you have any thoughts about this case, let me know. You can always send me an email, kyhistoryhaunts at gmail.com. There's more information on the website, kyhistoryhaunts.com, and on social media. The Facebook is Kentucky History and Haunts. Instagram and Twitter are at kyhistoryhaunts. If you haven't already, please leave a review or a rating on Apple, Spotify, wherever you listen. And tell your friends. All right, I'm off to Richmond to spend a little time with extended family. Thank you for listening, and until next time.